Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast about the messy parts of work with me, Anna Codrerado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. Today we're talking about losing your job. Do you want more tools to improve your working life? Then join Is This Working on Patreon, the community platform for supporting creators like us. Support us on Patreon and you'll get perks, including a weekly reading list from us packed with things that will make your working life better. Find us at patreon.com slash is this working show. Before we get into today's show, we just quickly wanted to ask you to please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to your review so far, we made it to the number one career spot in the podcast charts, and that really helps other people find this show. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, We have 94 reviews at the moment, so fun challenge of the week. Let's see if we can get to 100. So that's only six of you who are listening. Please leave a review. And thank you hugely to everybody who has so far um mandy underscore london um said insightful weekly careers pep talks about stuff we're all feeling but maybe don't articulate quite so well love it um well we love you too mandy thank you for the review and let's get on with the show Anna, let's talk about when you've lost a job. Yes, I got made redundant three years ago now. So I was working for a media company and I get I got laid off, as the Americans say. Um, and very much the decision did happen from the American HQ. So it was very much a very American style laying off process. Um there was a round of company-wide job cuts. I think about 2% of the total headcount across the global company were let go all on that same day. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it was the thing that actually then propelled me to go freelance. So getting made redundant was very much a huge part of my story of going freelance. Um, but the actual kind of experience of that redundancy was really quite shocking. It was kind of one of those situations where I had gone into work on a Friday as normal and um, I'd done my work in the morning and then I actually went out for lunch with some colleagues because it was a Friday and we were actually, ironically, we were talking because there were, there were three of us there, including myself. One of them had just handed in their notice and we were kind of talking about that um, and just sort of your usual work chat. And then I went back to my desk and I got G-chat from my boss's boss, which already was kind of weird. Like she was trying to G-chat me. And then, and it was, she was asked, it was requesting a video call. So I clicked on it and she's kind of popped up on my screen and she was sat there with this woman who I knew 
worked for H in HR. I think maybe she must have been the person who kind of gave me the tour of the office when I started or something, but I knew that she worked in HR. So I did think, oh my God, what's happening here? And then it's funny because I don't remember exactly what really was said. I just remember my, I just remember those two faces on the screen looking really serious and, um, there was this talk of, oh, you know, streamlining processes and, and all of this kind of sort of technical language almost. And I remember the HR woman interrupted to ask where I was because I was sat in the middle of the, in the middle of the open plan office. And I said, well, I'm sat at my desk in the office and they, they were calling from New York and the HQ and I was in London. And, um, she asked me if there was somewhere private I could go. So I kind of grabbed my laptop and scurried off to the nearest room, which was this sort of like massive boardroom. Um, and that's kind of where the actual sort of getting made redundant, the sort of process of getting made redundant happened. Um, but it was really confusing because at the time I actually, as I said, I don't remember exactly what they said to me, but I just remember thinking that I was getting fired and that it was just me who had lost their job. And it was only when I went back. And then, you know, this often happens is when you're sort of told these things, um, you're often told not to tell anyone. And then obviously I went straight back to my desk and told my two colleagues I'd had lunch with that guys, I think I've just got fired. Um, and then I either had an email or some, or sort of tweet or something, but someone sent me a link to this story on variety, which is a entertainment it's a, it covers like the entertainment industry. It's an online magazine that covers the entertainment industry with an exclusive story about how, how, um, it, well, I mean, it's on the internet, so I might as well say it was vice, um, were cutting 12% of their headcount. So I, that's when I, that's only when I realized that this was, oh, okay, this is a redundancy in a, in a sort of, in a, in a big chunk of job losses. So it wasn't just me, but in that moment, I thought it was just me getting fired. And yeah, the whole thing was all very sort of, dramatic, I guess is the best way to describe it because it was a Friday, as I said, and, um, you know, I was told basically to pack up my stuff and that my email would be disconnected in the next hour and to hand in my laptop to HR. And that was it. Don't come back on Monday. That's so sudden. Cause I think you also hear about quite long drawn out redundancy processes as well. So that shock must've been huge. And I, and I also don't fully understand why it wasn't communicated that this was part of a wider thing to you at the time, but I guess we will never find that out. So we'll never, we will never know. I mean, also who knows, I, as I said, it's very interesting because I really struggled to remember what was actually said in yeah. that moment. All I can remember is how I felt. And then obviously the confusion when I came out and saying to my colleagues that I'm not really sure what happened, but I think I've been fired. So it's also, um, I think that, the point is, is that you're dealing, it's a very, very shocking experience. And when you're in that state, it's really hard to process what's going on. Um, so even if it had been communicated, clearly wasn't communicated clearly enough for me to, uh, to understand. Yes, I can totally relate to that. Like those big moments in your life when you have these big conversations and you can't actually remember what was said. Yeah. You often hear that about, um, this is a very strange comparison, but you often hear that when people get proposed to, they don't actually remember what their partner said to them in the moment. They just know that they asked them to marry them, but they're not sure about the content of that, um, of the kind of all the nice stuff they said to them. They just know that they got, they were asked 
to get married. And you have another story of redundancy. Yeah. So um, as you say, interestingly that you say that it was so sudden and that normally it's a drawn out process. Well, I have also experienced that as well. Um, In my first proper grown-up job, so my first full-time job, I just graduated. I must have been 20, 21. Um, About a year in, just over a year in, I was put at risk of redundancy. And that was a really brutal experience. And to be honest, I think it it was a lot worse than when I got made redundant without warning and suddenly. Um, So if I remember correctly, we were actually on some kind of, we were having some kind of company away day or something because in my memory of this, I'm in a meeting room and it's not the meeting room in the, in our office, it's somewhere else. And we're told that the company is being restructured. And then we're all handed these pieces of paper with these new org charts on them. And I remember being told something to the effect of, you know, you'll see from the chart that not all of your jobs are on there. Um, And my job was on that list, but the problem was that I was in this little team. It was um, my boss and then me and someone else, and we both had the same job title. And on that piece of paper, there was only... Uh, there was only a position for one person with that job title. And basically what had happened is they decided that they were eliminating one of the roles that they didn't need to, I can't even remember what my job title would have been. It would have been something like marketing executive or something. Um, And they only needed one of us. And then we told about how we're going to be, go through this consultation phase um, and all of this stuff. And I just remember I was, in the midst of this, I was really confused and I didn't, again, didn't know what was going on exactly. What I do remember really clearly is that the head of the department happened to be sitting next to me in that meeting. And I remember her turning to me and she said, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you at the beginning of your career. And because I think she was, I think she was being let go as well. Or I think she was leaving. So I remember she did end up leaving, but she very much was kind of like, you know, I'm at the end of my career. It's less of a big deal. And she just, she just, I mean, just remember her talking about this and kind of, she said her saying that she really hoped that this didn't sort of mar my career and sort of that how, how terrible it was that this was the, my first experience at my, in my first job. Um, but yeah, the whole thing was, um, it was a very confusing and drawn out process. And like I said, in many ways, I actually found it so much worse than when I got made redundant suddenly. I just want to go back to when you said the woman said to you, I'm so sorry, this is happening to you at the beginning of your career, because I found that a really powerful statement. And I, based on anecdotal evidence, Um, I know that a lot of more junior people right now are on furlough and experiencing all this work uncertainty. And I just think it's really important to acknowledge that for those of our listeners who are earlier on in their careers, this is a really difficult and unsettling experience to be going through because you haven't done the time to kind of build up that work related resilience. So I just, I just really want to acknowledge that that is such a difficult thing to happen early on in your career. Yeah. And I'm actually really grateful that she did say that. The irony of course, is that I then basically in every job that I went on to do 
you know, up until eventually getting made redundant, there was always the threat of redundancy did kind of always hang over me. Um, in this particular job, the situation that I'm describing that, that happened in my first job, but in the end, I didn't end up getting made redundant, but um, we could talk more about sort of what happened next with all of that. Um, but I'm just really grateful that she did acknowledge that. And um, however, at the same time, also, I think it is worth kind of emphasizing is that yes, of course, redundancy is horrendous and I don't wish it upon anyone. But at the same time, often out of redundancy, great things can come as well. Um, so there is something to be said about kind of framing it as it just is kind of perpetuate this idea that sort of a job loss is the worst possible thing that can happen to you. Um, and that's not to diminish that, that feeling and that it is a horrible experience. Um, but when we put so much emphasis on the fear and not, not wanting to lose our jobs, um, it does kind of just, I think, add to why we feel so bad if that does happen in the end. Yeah. And I guess that's also coupled with often these can be quite long drawn out processes and it's much worse sitting in that uncertainty rather than just having the push. Cause at least when you're jumping off the cliff, you can then get on with it. But if you're in that long stretched out uncertainty, paranoia, like all those confusing feelings you talked about from your other experience, I think that makes it so much harder. That experience of sitting there and waiting to find out if I was being made redundant was possibly the worst point in my career. And also if I, if I think back to those days, I mean, it very much felt like limbo. I was completely demoralized and unmotivated. Um, and also I was only 21 or 22. I wasn't having these kinds of conversations that we have now about careers. I wasn't thinking in the way that I do now about what it means to work and all these things, I was just utterly distraught about the whole thing. And, and actually what's really interesting is that I, um, I actually got in, this is kind of like the only time this has ever happened to me. And, you know, regular listeners of this podcast might be shocked to hear that something like this would happen to me, but I actually got in like serious trouble at work around about that time. Um, and I look, as I look back on it now, I realize that th what I did was just out of, um, out of the fact that I was completely kind of burnt. I don't know if it was burnout or what it was, but just the, the effect of feeling so at sea is kind of what led me to, um, to act, act out. I out. Yeah. I was going to say um, act and out. Also, I'm going to tell you what I did and it actually really wasn't that bad. And I actually can't believe the level of trouble that I got in into over it. But, um, so it was a Friday and I, and, um, I can't remember if, we'd, if I was, if it was still in the phase where we were trying to, well, I can't remember if we were still in the redundancy phase and we hadn't yet decided what was happening, but definitely some people had already left. It might have been after, um, I had actually already stayed and that, um, the other person got made redundant. Um, but anyway, it was a Friday and the senior team were all away somewhere on either on meetings or on holiday. And there wasn't much. That's the other thing I want to kind of emphasize here is that not much work happens during these, these, 
these long drawn out periods when you're waiting to be made redundant, because usually what's happening is some kind of restructure is happening and a lot of things are in flux and there isn't a whole lot of work that happens, which doesn't help things. And even if there is work to do, of course you don't want to do it because you're kind of thinking, what's the point? Um, so there really wasn't a whole lot of work to be done. And it was a Friday afternoon. It was the summer. It was a really nice day. And there just wasn't really anything going on in the office. And someone else floated the idea that we should leave early. And when I say leave early, it was would have been after lunchtime. And there was all this kind of chat. Um, and I definitely, I was definitely the youngest person and probably the most junior person on the team. And some of the people above me were kind of saying, you know what, I'm just going to leave early. Um, and then um, we kind of all colluded to leave early. So a few of us left, but there were a couple of people who didn't want to, so they stay behind. And some of those people, someone told my boss or someone told their boss that a bunch of people left early on the Friday. And then on the Monday, my boss called me in for a royal telling off. Like I got a serious bollocking over it and kind of told that I should be grateful that I was still there and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I just remember feeling... <laughs> so small and so ashamed, but also really angry because I think I might've even clapped back and said, but there was really nothing to do. And the kind of the response was, well, you can always find something to do. And the point is that you're being paid. You should basically sit here till the work day is over. It was probably the seed that planted kind of my, um, frustration at presenteeism and the cultural presenteeism, not to mention the cultural presenteeism when there's not even anyone to see whether you're sat there or not, because the whole, everyone is not even in the office. Um, so anyway, and my, as I reflect back on that now, I realized that I was just so frustrated, so demoralized, feeling so awful. And it was just, it was, and I just felt really flat and it was just, it was a nice day. And I just wanted to go outside and just kind of leave the office early on a Friday for once. Um, and yeah, like I said, um, really wasn't that big a deal in the grand scheme of things, but I got in so much trouble over it. I guess also like, I obviously, I think that that's ridiculous. Um, and I've never thankfully really had that kind of experience. Um, and I work for myself and when it's a hot Friday, I don't think I, I think I stop early if I can. So, but the only thing I'll point out from that is, um, the complete lack of compassion and acknowledgement that you're, you and the team, a young team as well, are going through this harrowing experience and not saying to the like loser telltale, sorry. <laughs> so if they came to me and said, oh, some people left, I'd be like, you know what? They're going through a really hard time, but bringing you in and bollocking you, I just have no time for that. I think during these hardships, it is the job of leaders to be compassionate for sure. And compassionate about telling on you as well. Everyone just needs to be understanding that this is psychologically quite traumatic for people to go through this. That's the thing. I mean, granted this would have happened, what, over 10 years ago now. And I really hope that leadership is a lot more compassionate. And as I've said a number of times in the episodes we've done over the course of this pandemic, my great hope is that we finally shake off this ideal of the fearless leader and that everything that's happened as a result of the pandemic has encouraged leaders to be more empathetic and to be uh, more open and vulnerable with their workers. And that just means also acknowledging just how horrible and uncomfortable a redundancy process 
can be, particularly if you go through these kind of long consultation processes. Um, so I'm not the only one who's lost a job in this pair. In fact, we lost our jobs within what, a couple of weeks of each other? Yeah, you probably, did you go first? I think so. Because yeah. I always copy you, don't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in life. Um, yes, I, uh, was not made redundant. I was fired, which, you know, even the word fire itself has a lot more drama and heat to it. So very different experience, um, with regards to how that conversation went down. And it's one that I talk about in an episode from series one. So I think it's called you're fired. So you should easily find it. But so I'm not going to retell that story um, as juicy as it may be. But what I will talk about is what happened next, because I think there's so much of what happened and how I felt and how I was made to feel by other people when I didn't have a job um, that I really want to talk about. Um, You know, I'd worked pretty solidly and very confidently as well until that moment in my career. So I think I was about 28 maybe when that happened. And um, I just enjoyed a lot of success and just felt like I was sort of smashing it at work. And I think just suddenly having that identity taken away from me um, was a real shock. I just didn't really know who I was anymore. And I just lost this identity and I was sort of struggling with this thing myself. And then I would go out and meet people and talk to people um, and almost they'd hold a mirror up to my own insecurities and then make me, I'd feel and sense their judgment um, when, you know, when people say, what do you do? And I always tried different things. Like, you know, I'm not the sort of person that's going to bullshit people and be like, oh, uh, I'm actually like in between things right now. Or like, oh yeah, like I've got a couple of, like, that's not who I am. So I was just like, yeah, I got fired. <laughs> and, and how then, do people respond when you tell them that? Um, like awkwardly, like, you know, really awkward, like, or uh, in shock or one girl I really remember more just because I kind of respected this was just like, what did you do? <laughs> um, and actually it's quite sweet because my other friend, who was there, who, who works in PR. So is really good at like, you know, selling people jumped in and was like, oh, well, she's actually done all these successes and blah, 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 blah. And that was a really heartwarming moment, but in general, they were not heartwarming moments. And, um, I felt a lot of shame around it and I didn't know what I wanted to do next. I'd always, cause I'd sort of fallen into my career completely by accident, which again is probably, it's a story for another day. Um, I, had always talked about wanting to take a step back and plan what I actually wanted to do with my life. And I've always had an interest in, you know, politics, uh, and also teaching, like there's always different things I've always been interested in. And I sort of fell into startups and found that there were certain elements that suited me very well. And, but I'd never sort of actually thought I'd get round to it (laughs) and I'd been given all that time. So, um, you know, I, but what I did do was I sort of presumed, and I think we'll I'll probably talk about this more later, but I kind of presumed that, okay, great. I've got this opportunity to do a career change. And in a way I was quite prepared to almost disregard the kind of eight or so years of experience I'd got to date and look at starting from scratch. And I think I wasted a lot of time by doing that because I applied for really junior jobs in different fields 
but I know deep down, I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't work for anyone, but I certainly can't go and work for someone at the bottom of the pile where like my eight years of experience isn't considered transferable skills. So I think I wasted a lot of time by almost overreacting and trying to run away from the work I'd done before. Um, and um, it, I think that is something I've noticed quite a few people I've spoken to who are worried about their jobs um, because I think this is happening to so many people right now is, is that natural inclination to over, to sort of do something completely different and actually, normally it's something that sounds quite altruistic. So I, I, this is what I did as well. I want to create meaning to this experience, this horrible thing that's happened to me. Okay, I'm going to go and like do uh, a job that like really gives back, which like that's a great that's a great thing to want to do. But I guess what I'm saying is like just just don't feel the need to kind of overly change what you do and disregard everything that's come before. It's kind of hearing you talk about that. It makes me think when you break up with someone or when one breaks up with someone and you overcorrect in the next partner that you look at. So when you date someone who is, I don't know, really messy and then you look for someone who is super, super tidy. That, that's a really bad example, but you know that overcorrection that a lot of people do I mean, yeah. when they're coming out of a relationship. <laughs> um, I think that can really happen also with jobs because ultimately let, let's not forget that a job really is also a form of a relationship as well. It's a, the kind of relationship you have with your work and also your colleagues and, and ultimately, you know, companies are just collections of people and a job is a type of relationship. Um, it's maybe one that doesn't love you back like a, like a human would, but still. Um, so yeah, it's that overcorrection. And, and I remember cause you really spent quite a lot of time thinking about becoming a teacher. So you'd worked in PR and marketing at startups for those 10, eight, 10 years prior and then you were really thinking about going into teaching. Yeah, so I was mainly exploring teaching and politics and I still think there's a side of me that would really enjoy certain elements of teaching, which but, you do through our events that we which do. Which we now. do, exactly. I get to I get to have that um shot of fulfillment through other work that I do. But realistically, uh I remember I remember I wanted to get I wanted to do it now. And I think it was like, I, so I think I, I got fired in June and then I was like, okay, cool. I can just go and start teaching in September or start the course or go and start working. But that's not how it works. You need to like plan it a year in advance. And I was like, I don't understand why I can't just like, and then I realized that attitude of mine is why I do well in entrepreneurial situations. And similarly, it was like, oh, there's only space in like schools in Croydon. I live in North London um, and you have to get there early. And suddenly I was like, okay, like lifestyle wise, this isn't going to work for me. And so I did go on quite a long journey of like having to be really brutally honest with myself about lifestyle and what I, what I came to me. And it actually took me, I know you were back at your desk on Monday morning. You worked for yourself. So Friday, lost your job Monday. I took at least four months to make that switch because I spent that much time exploring other things. Um, and I didn't even know that I could even be freelance because I'm not from a journalist background. It's a bit less, it's not so much a known career move. Um, so I took a lot longer and I spent a lot of time really thinking about what, like how I want work to feel 
And that meant trial and error. That meant someone saying to you, okay, do you want to get to Croydon for 7am? I was like, no. And then, and then meanwhile, I was loving just like being at home all day, offline, off peak life, like going to the gym when no one was there. And that was how I slowly got to like, hold on, there's a way of working that I really enjoy mixed with the fact that actually I did really enjoy the actual work that I did. Like brand and communication startup stuff. It's actually all really exciting and really cool. Um, so then I kind of brought these things together and then built a happier working life. The end. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think it is really important to talk about how different people respond in different ways. And I think it's, you know, it's important for me also to emphasize that when I lost my job and went freelance immediately, the idea to go freelance had been in the back of my mind for quite some time. I can't remember if I've shared this before on the podcast, but recently I found this notebook in my massive collection of notebooks that I have and I opened it and it, I'd written across the top. Um, it was 2016. So it was a, it was a whole full year before I got made redundant. Um, and I titled the page something like Anna's freelance adventure and I'd written a list of everything I hoped to get out of going freelance. And I was already starting to scribble down all these plans and how much money I needed to save and, and my kind of steps to go freelance. So when I got made redundant, it was that push that I needed to actually do this. And uh, I'm not saying that if you are listening to this and you've just lost a job or you're at risk of redundancy that you then need to jump into working for yourself because that not, might not be the right thing for you. Um, and I think one of the big issues with this is that as to the point you were making about when you talked about this with people, there is still so much taboo and shame around losing a job, whether it's getting fired or being made redundant, it's still a job loss. It doesn't really kind of matter how it happens. And there's a lot of shame around it. And also even in the way that we talk about it, if you meet someone at a party who tells you that they've just lost their job, it's like they've just told you they have some something, some contagious disease and you don't want to be near them. Um, so I think it's just really important. It's kind of why we want to even share these stories on this episode, because we just want to normalize that it's okay to talk about job losses. Uh, and not just in the sense that look at us, we lost our jobs and look how fine we are now. Just to talk about the realities of what it was like to go through it as well, I think is really important. Yes. And as always, we are an open book. But before we get into uh, why losing your job feels so horrific, should we pause for a little ad break? Let's take a break. Do you want more tools to improve your working life? Then join Is This Working on Patreon, the community platform for supporting creators like us. Support us on Patreon and you'll get perks, including a weekly reading list from us packed with things that will make your working life better. Find us at patreon.com forward slash is this working show.
So let's talk a bit about why it feels so shit to be made redundant. I mean, the most immediate and obvious reason, of course, is that when you lose a job, you are losing your livelihood. So that means you've got financial pressures and stresses and you're worrying about when your next paycheck is coming from. And depending how you lose that job, you may or may not even be, you know, you might be getting your final paycheck, but there might not be that much more money coming in. And if that weren't stressful enough, right now we're also facing a deepening economic crisis. So money worries and financial problems is something that is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, And on top of that, I think it's really important to emphasize that it's been well documented that a job loss is one of life's most stressful events that comes close after bereavement and marital, marital difficulties and personal injury. It's up there in some of the worst things that can happen to you, some of the worst events that you can experience in your life. And I think it's really, really important not to diminish that because as I was saying about how we stigmatize people who've had, who've experienced a job loss, we really need to break down that taboo because for some people, it can just be a completely life shattering event that happens to them. And it really, really turns your world upside down. It's like the five stages of grief. So we've talked both from our stories about the shock at first, which we go into. And I always say to people who lose their jobs, like just give yourself a couple of weeks just to sit with the shock. Um, And then you do go through the denial, the anger, the bargaining, depression and acceptance. And it's just such an emotional roller coaster. And you just, you know, I think me and you often talk about with this sort of thing, whether it's like a breakup or um, job loss, it's, the anger is kind of the best emotion because it's like the emotions moving around the body. Um, but yeah, it's like a really painful emotional experience that people go through. That's the other side to all of this is that I think that you need to accept and recognize the emotional impact that a job loss has on you. So obviously, of course, there are the very practical reasons why losing a job is is awful. And it's obviously all to do with money, as we've said, and losing your life, livelihood. But there are all of these emotional impacts to take into account as well. And I think because you know, you're supposed to be professional, quote unquote professional. And when you go through a redundancy process, you're not supposed to show that you're emotional. You know, you're not supposed to show that you're emotional in the workplace anyway. So it becomes very easy to then also try to diminish your own emotional response to losing your job. But for so many of us, and I can, I can bet that, you know, for anyone listening to this podcast, you, I'm sure you will follow if you fall into this category, but so many of us define ourselves by what we do. I go around calling myself a journalist. I don't say I do journalism. I call myself a journalist. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. You know, we've discussed this on the show so many times before. I mean, you know, we had Anne Helen Peterson, the culture reporter at BuzzFeed, come on and do an episode with us about burnout. And we spent a lot of time talking about how our work affects our identities and and all of that kind of stuff. And so inevitably when you do tangle up 
what you do with your identity when you lose a job, if you lose a job, you feel like you've lost a part of yourself. You know, you feel like that piece of your identity has gone. You can't go to parties and say, I'm a journalist. Well, you can, you say, you know, I'm a journalist. And then they ask you where you work and you have to say that you're not at the moment. And it just, it feels, it's very, it's very easy to feel so much shame around all of this. And also, I think that right now, this business of losing a job and how that affects your identity is particularly painful in this current moment because there are jobs in industries that will never recover, that will be gone forever. And so it's not just that you've lost that job. You might have lost that career path in a way. There might, it might be something that you can't just find that same job somewhere else. Not to mention, to kind of talk about bringing this sort of up to speed about what's happening at the moment, job searching sucks at the best of times. It's just, it's a horrendous experience anyway, and it's tough and it's really brutal. And if you're trying to job search from a place of feeling quite low because you've just lost a job, my car goes out to you. But right now, you know, with Zoom interviews and even potentially having to start your new job remotely, that's just, you know, it just feels like one more mountain that you have to climb in getting over a job loss. The other thing I want to talk about as well, because I brought up grief uh, and the stages of grief earlier, there is a man called David Kessler, who's an author who's written about the stages of grief. And he's recently released a book about um, a sixth stage, which is meaning. And I just want to say when the time is right, you begin to recreate the narrative of what's happened to you in a way that it actually becomes one of the best things that's ever happened to you. So often um, Anna and I both say that getting that push from our jobs is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Um, maybe not ever happened to us, but within our careers, but it's, it's, I mean, it's brought us together to create this, which I think is a, a beautiful thing. Um, and there's this wonderful quote from Glennon Doyle, who I'm beginning to quote pretty regularly on this podcast. She is the author of a book called, well, she's written a few memoirs, but, um, this is from her book, Untamed which is all about releasing the woman within and breaking free of society's expectations of us as well, which is one of my favorite subjects. Anyway, she talks about how um, she says grief is a cocoon from which we emerge anew. And I really believe in that with regards to losing your job. You go into your cocoon and it's a horrible cocoon. You've got the shame, you've got the loss of identity, all these horrible things that we've talked about. But similarly, there is a rebirth that happens. And the other thing as well is like very few people, I didn't do it, Anna didn't do it, took the leap on our own accord to go and create our own things or to do something different or to do something new or to really learn from that experience. And, and we talked about this on the episode we did with Anna Newton, who's the Anna Edit. And she said, oh, I became a content curator sorry, I became a content creator um, after I was pushed. And I said, well, do we know anyone who's done this sort of work that hasn't been pushed? And, and she said, no. And so 
I'm not saying that you all have to go and start creative businesses, but there is, there will, the time will come when you'll look back at this leap that you were given and it will, it will form meaning and a very pivotal, pivotal and important moment in your career. And what comes next, I promise you, you will not look back. That was really, really beautiful and inspiring. And I think a really, also a really great segue for us to talk a bit more about what to do if you've either just been made redundant or if you're currently at risk and facing redundancy. So some practical tips and suggestions from us. So the first and one of the most practical tips that I have about redundancy is that you really need to know what your rights are. So here in the UK, if you're faced with redundancy, your employer has to treat you fairly and in accordance with your contract and your legal redundancy rights. But obviously we have so many international listeners that it's not going to be possible for me to go through what all of the different rights are for all of the places in the world where we have people listening to us from. So I really encourage you to go and learn about what your rights are um, and to be really empowered with that knowledge. Um, I'm going to link to a page on the Money Advice Services site, which outlines all of the rights that you have if you are in the UK. And we're also going to put some helplines of places which give free and impartial advice. So do check our show notes for that stuff. But, and I will say this again, because I just think it's really, really important. Do know what your rights are if you are in a situation where you're faced with redundancy or a job layoff. And so while we're on that, I think I'm going to share a couple of other tips that I have for the actual redundancy process itself as someone who has experienced it. You may find yourself having to go to HR meetings to talk about the ins and outs of what your redundancy package looks like. I really encourage you to take someone with you to those meetings. Take You're allowed to take a nominated colleague, or if you have union representation, you can take your union rep with you, but take someone with you to that meeting, not just for support, but also to take notes. As I've talked about, these processes are very, very confusing and you have so many emotions running through you. It's really hard to remember and understand what's being said. So if you take someone else with you, they can help you um, not just write notes, but also kind of help you understand what is being said to you. And also kind of related to that, take as much time as you need to digest what things you're being told. It's totally fine. And it's a really good idea to ask a lot of questions. And if you, if you're, if you ask a question and it's not answered or you don't understand the answer, ask them to explain it again. As I said, I'm not really clear all of on the details of what was actually told to me in the process. And when I, when I did have subsequent HR meetings, I kind of was asking them to repeat themselves over and over again because I just wanted to make sure that I fully understood. And if they say something to you and you have understood it in a certain way, repeat that back to the person. So if say to them, okay, my understanding is I will get X amount of holiday pay or my understanding is you know, whatever it is that, however it is you've understood the situation and ask them to kind of confirm that sort of, whether that's the case. And I suspect you want some of that stuff in writing as a follow-up, right? Yes. Yes. Try to get as much in writing as possible. Um, because the reality is, is that things get really messy in redundancy processes. I mean, 
mine were not smooth and um you want to get things in writing because you're going to need all of that and the other thing I'd add is just remember HR don't work for you they work for the company so by all means lean on their support but just don't forget that exactly that's why it's really important to take the people who do have your back into those meetings with you either colleagues or union reps or whoever you know you need to check first what the company who the company allows you to bring in you can't unfortunately as many of us would just love to bring a mate in they're not going to let someone else an outsider come in just like that but um take someone that it that does have who does have your back into those meetings with you and then also it's really important to not shame yourself for what's happened to you because yes it's so horrendous and it's shit but it doesn't define who you are unless you let it so i've been reading charlie mckessie's really beautiful book the boy the mole the fox and the horse and by the way anyone who hasn't already read it read it it just will fill your heart with joy and hope and i think it's just a really perfect read for any anyone right now um But I was reading it the other day and there is a quote in there that says, don't measure how valuable you are by the way you are treated. And I wanted to share that in light of everything we're talking about, because if you are treated in a way that doesn't make you feel great, if you lose a job, if you have have a horrible experience losing your job, that doesn't have any bearing on who you are and how valuable you are. And you really need to remember that. And there is the difference between something bad happening to you and you internalizing, internalizing that experience and thinking of yourself as a bad person. I mean, that's basically how shame works. When we take an experience or a behavior and we blame ourselves for it and we internalize that. So, you know, if you lose a job, rather than approaching it with that kind of psychological distance and the and non-judgment you think of yourself as useless or worthless or whatever the case might be and blame yourself for that that's just not going to help you at all in the long run and the last practical tip that i'm going to share because i have been hogging the practical tips so before i hand over because tiffany's got some really great ones as well um, I just want to talk about the the part where you do stop processing what happens. And so this is directly related to sort of helping yourself not fall into a shame spiral. So Sally Matlis, who is a professor of organizational behavior and leadership at Oxford University's business school, she studied people who were forced to leave the work that they cared really deeply about. And she found that sense-making is a really important part of the process of moving forward. Now, sense-making is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's figuring out what has happened, why, and what it means for you. And Matlis's research found that certain kinds of sense-making are more likely to lead to positive futures and personal growth, while others keep people stuck where they are. And so when someone focuses on their mistakes and what went wrong, they create a diminished version of who they were. And then 
start to struggle to see beyond that. So you, again, it's this idea of putting a bit of distance between you and what happened and trying to look at things in a non-judgmental and almost kind of a curious way to sort of see what happened and what can be learned for it so that you can, um, you can take what happened and, and try to turn it into the most positive experience that you can. As hard as it does sound, it, it really will set you up to have that much more exciting and um, fulfilling next step. I really agree with that because I'm just thinking about when I got fired and once the emotion was removed, I sat down at the drawing board and thought about what did I actually like about this and why didn't it work? And like, of course, there might be not I'm saying might, um, but of course there was fault at my end in how I responded to people. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, that's not the right type of culture for me. Um, you and I get on pretty well when we work together. So it's just about also, yeah, me in certain situations isn't me in other situations. So sort of divorcing that, it's that shame thing as well. I'm not always a bad person at work. It's just certain situations bring out better actions in me and others don't. But once I did some of that thinking, um, I do want to talk a bit about how to deal with what comes next, especially in the current climate, because I've heard a lot of people say, well, this is a terrible time to lose a job because it's a terrible time to get a job. And it is true. The job market is tough right now, but do not say no for other people before they have said no to you. So this is actually something that I learned on one of our favorite podcasts, which is the Creative Rebels podcast. And it's the all the podcasts that interviews all these incredible creatives who started these successful businesses and it's a really inspiring listen and I highly recommend it if you are considering going down that route post-job um but yeah they they said that and I and it's really stuck with me because um it's like don't preempt rejection before it's come and I think that really holds a lot of people back in all sorts of working situations. There will be something where you might have to pivot, you might have to adapt, you might have to be patient, but there will be something out there that you can work into and don't just step out of the process before you've even begun because you're feeling that the wider powers means that there's nothing out there for you. And similarly, this is just straightforward applying for job advice, but be strategic. So it's not about, the other thing I hear a lot is I'm going to apply for X number of jobs a day, five jobs a day. That's a terrible waste of time. Um, Definitely you're much better off actually spending four days thinking strategically about what are my skills? What are my experience? What do I enjoy? What can I give? How can I adapt that to the current job market and then apply for one job in a week? Um, so that's just another thing I really want to pull out. And again, like maybe the fact that the job market's really tough means you may as well be a bit slower with it and see it as a bit of a pause and a time for reset. Um, you know, of course, many people will have, if you don't have decent redundancy packages, will have to solve the short term survival needs. So maybe there's something where, okay, I need to, I need to get something short term and then use the other time to find a proper thing. Um, so again, but that is part of, that is thinking strategically to decide to do that. Um, and similarly, finally, with regards to job hunting, obviously we could just do a whole episode on this, but, um, everything takes 
a lot longer than you predict when you're doing a career change. So do allow time for that space. Um, I think I've changed careers maybe three times now and every time it takes way longer than you predict. So whether that means financially or psychologically or um, whatever, Lee, definitely allow more time and space than you predict it will take for the change. And the other thing I want to talk about that I hear people say is boredom. So there's that whole day stretching out ahead of you when you don't have work to do. It really varies. Like some people just love it, fill the time really easily, whereas other people find it extremely daunting, especially if you're used to working long hours and being in a buzzy office. And then suddenly you've just got the whole expanse of a day lying ahead of you. Really basic piece of advice here is make sure you do your exercise. I find, I don't know, Anna, by the time I sort of do my exercise, have my shower, get gym clothes, like that takes up quite a lot of time and also double whammy of the mental health benefits too. Yeah, exactly. I do always kind of, I find myself, I get up really early and then by the time I've done all of my exercising and general morning faffing, I'm always amazed that suddenly it's 11 a.m. and I've done, I've done any work. <laughs> Definitely. And I guess like reframe the time as well. Like, it will go very quickly. Um, and so just enjoy the rest, eat well, take ages to cook yourself a great lunch, just like really move in with, with a certain pace that it's, you know, I do believe in on and off time in one's life and you'll, you, you'll be going through an off time. So really try and reframe that boredom experience. Um, and also there's loads of articles on the internet now about how boredom's good for you anyway, but just, <laughs> but just, uh, just, just get a bit comfortable with that. The final thing I will say that really for me was the most painful, um, after I got fired and it was the most painful because I, I mean, as humans, we are, we want, we crave acceptance into the pack. And I found that when I couldn't answer, what do you do well? I felt like I had a bad smell and it actually makes me, I don't know if you can hear, it makes me really upset reliving that because I've not only had this traumatic experience, um, I also felt that people were judging me for months afterwards. Um, so Anyway, uh, so yeah, so I just finally want to talk about what, how to deal with when people say, what do you do? Because um, I kind of wish I'd sort of had this confidence or advice at the time. First of all, obviously people are going to be much more predisposed to understanding job loss in the current climate. So that, that's, a, that's a bonus, I guess. People aren't going to question it in the same way. Um, but definitely, and the other guess, perhaps the other bonus is there's going to, there's less parties right now. So you're not actually meeting that many people. So that's another bonus of this situation. Um, but definitely just answer with what you're comfortable with as well. Like if you feel the need to pre-prepare something, um, and just be, and also almost you can play it out. So even, um, when I started writing, I hadn't written for anyone. I, I didn't have evidence of my work yet. And I was sort of prepared for people to say, oh, have I read what you've written? And just sort of, um, just if you are going to give a sort of answer, but it's early stages and you don't have the evidence in inverted commas, maybe you don't want to give that answer. So just sort of maybe rehearse what kind of answer you want to give. Even something like, I don't work right now and I'm working that out, um, or I've just lost my job. And I often find actually now because the way people respond 
to my work or have responded to my work over the years because um having worked in early stage startups everyone's like oh that business isn't gonna work why would x people do x and it's like you know why would you get a taxi on your app when you can get a black cab you know all that kind of stuff people used to say um but it's actually a really good filter because when you meet people and they react well to stuff and they're like sensitive to the issue or they've experienced it or they you you suddenly realize that there's like it's a really good filter to know who you want to continue talking to and who you just want to walk away from so you can kind of own that experience if people are kind of rude to you or make you feel small and you can just walk away um and finally you know start some other conversations yourself let's not rely on the what do you do i always try so hard to not ask what do you do but say you know what's going on in your life what are you excited about right now how's your week what do you think of the weather no <laughs> but yeah i think like more open questions around like what's going on in your life you're inviting them to tell you what they want to tell you and similarly that's vice versa so but that's enough of that for now maybe uh, maybe we need a party et- etiquette <laughs> show digital etiquette how to be how to ask better questions well i think this is a great note to end today's episode on for anyone who is going through a tough time at work right now know that our deepest sympathies and hearts are with you and next time you find yourself at a party challenge yourself not to ask someone that you've just met what they do i like that challenge thank you so much everybody sending love bye bye You are listening to Is This Working, hosted by Anna Co-Girado and Tiffany Philippou, produced by Chris Bannister. Continue the conversation with us over on Twitter at isthisworking underscore show.